Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 107, where in a moment, we're reviewing the mini budget of 2022. That's in the way, like I say, in just a second. But please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows. Because in our programs to date, we've featured loads of stuff, pensions, investing, wills and powers of attorney, loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last week, we focused on pensions for the self-employed. Remember, we can drill down and focus on pretty much anything forensically. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll get us there. As I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis. With me as always, whenever Phil's off, it's his colleague, Andrew Schooler. Hi, Andrew. Hi, John. Thanks for having me along again. Okay, so we're looking at Quasi Quarteng's first time in the saddle where he issued his mini-budget of 2022. You know, I thought perhaps because it was smaller than usual, the photo op would be outside number 11 with him holding just, you know, a battered old bum bag or a ripped bag for life instead of the standard smashed up number 11 budget attache case. But in real terms, Andrew, what was the difference between this mini budget and, and a normal one? Yeah, the best way I can describe it is is really the, the, the key is in the title. The big budget obviously happens once a year. They're setting out all the policies and all the legislation for the next year potentially even things further in advance this was really just around quasi just getting his own kind of feet under the desk obviously there's a, there's a lot going on at the moment and we're going to go into that in a lot more detail in, in, in the podcast <laughs> yeah. but a lot of this was very much uh we need to do something right now and if we don't do something right now we could be in economic crisis but is you know we're in this in this crazy position where the government are trying to do one thing, Bank of England are trying to do another thing, and they're not really kind of in the same direction. So you know it, it was yeah absolutely crazy, absolutely crazy. Yeah, I mean, I mean the thing was when they came into it, it was kind of a case of well, what are we going to do about the energy situation now? Sort of one week on as we record this, nobody's really talking about the energy situation right now. It's all to do with mortgages and everything else, but we'll get into that, as you say. So here's the, I was going to say the $64,000 question, but it's more like billions. How is the economy looking at the moment, Andrew? Yeah, we've kind of really got two fighting factors at the moment. There's the Bank of England who are desperately trying to get inflation under control, which is kind of hovering around about the double-digit figure, 9.9 last month at time of recording, and <laughs> expected to potentially go back up into double digits again with the increase in the energy tariff. But then we've got the, the government who's desperate for growth. And it's we're in this situation where one entity is trying to reduce inflation and kind of keep things stable but then there's another element that says yeah we want growth we want things to be going and people spending loads of money and it's like that's two opposite things they're they're fighting mm-hmm. against each other so we're in this real situation that there is no there's no clarity in exactly the route that we want to go down so 
what markets do not like at the or at any point in time is uncertainty. So we have total uncertainty going on just now. So everything is bouncing around. You know, energy prices are kind of jumping around. Bond prices are all over the place. The stock market's all over the place. Interest rates, mortgage lenders pulling products, all these kind of side of things. It's it's really turbulent. That's probably the best way I can describe it, turbulent. Mm. I want to try and understand this a, a little bit because the, the, there are a lot of contributing factors and, and it's it's been a real sort of maelstrom, I mean, a real melting pot this year. But we've heard a lot about Liz Truss's beliefs about finance, that she wants less regulation, lower taxes, believes in a trickle-down economy, that if the rich get more, they'll pay for things which will enable those below them to earn money and in turn has that knock-on effect. The problem is a lot of the rest of the financial world doesn't believe that works. I mean, the first part, yes. The second part, no. So the rich get richer and then they buy things like foreign holiday homes and yachts and none of that really benefits the UK's economy. Is that effectively what she's gone for here, Andrew? It's it's one way to look on it, absolutely. I, I would say I understand the process that she's looking at, trying to have more money within the UK economy. So that will then, in turn, as you say, filter down through shops, cafes, restaurants, etc. The concern is it's it's like the top half percent or top one percent that are really properly benefiting from this. And those people are so financially switched on that they are not necessarily going to be keeping all their assets within the UK. It could be going elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So you're you're right. There there is a potential issue that yeah we're just generating more money for people that may not actually spend it in the UK. But if it were to work in that way, then yeah, absolutely. You know, more money being spent on cafes, restaurants, shops, etc., may help kickstart the growth. But You've also got this kind of inflation figure that's hanging about in the background as well that needs to come down. And if people are spending more money and if there's not the the products or the availability of the things that they're buying, then it tends to push up prices, which then has another impact on inflation. So it's a double-edged sword at the moment. I understand what she's done. Will it work? I think we can all we can just wait and see what the next year holds. So, I mean, she has been cutting taxes. That's one thing she promised, that that additional rate of income tax has been abolished. So that's that's the, that's the is it the 45% top rate ban? So the yeah. rich, they, they get richer. The, the 45% was for anyone, I think the figure quoted was anyone pulling over, is that 150,000? Correct, yeah. And that in England, and again, we'll come on to this later on, but 45% in England, 46% in Scotland for anybody earning above 150,000 they would then be paying that top tier tax that also tax bans also don't have a tax free allowance on what they can earn as well that's all been kind of done away with by the time you get to that earnings but yeah effectively it's a 5% cut in in the very very top tier of the the taxation the basic rate income tax has been low. Does that mean that the, does that mean the poorer are worse off? So she's sort of pandering towards a traditional Tory market, or have I got that wrong? No, the, basically the lower rate tax has moved to the 19% again in, in England. In Scotland, we already have that 19% starting rate. So in Scotland, the first £2,000 of what you earn over the tax-free allowance 
is at 19%, then it moves to 20, then 21, then 41, and then 46 in Scotland. In England, a little bit more straightforward. It was 20%, 40%, 45%. It's now 19%, 40%. So mm. far more straightforward tax situation there. So in theory, by lowering that the amount of tax that's then going to be taken in, you're effectively putting more money in the working class person's pocket, not the same percentage as the higher, higher rate earners, but still potentially a little bit more in, in the pocket of the average earner. And dividend tax has been reversed. Now, what does that mean? Yeah. So, okay. Dividend tax is basically, so you can get dividends from a few different areas. You can get dividends from shares. So for example, if you held shares in BP, for example, every year when they make profits, they'll pay their shareholders a dividend. So depending on how many shares you own, depending on how many dividends you get. So that's one area of dividends. But really where the majority of dividends are paid are through people that own limited companies. So if you own your own business, you're self-employed, but you're a limited company, you can pay yourself dividends. So whatever profits your company has announced, you can pay yourself X amount of dividends. Now, it was always a way, and I suppose it still is, as a way of getting money out of a business into a director's hands in the most tax-efficient manner. Now, dividend taxation was quite a complicated set of numbers that go along with it. It depends on your your salary or your taxable income. But there was two tiers. Well, there was actually three tiers. There was a basic rate, the higher rate and the additional rate of tax that you paid. The, they've scrapped the higher rate, which was due to be a nice round 39.35%. <laughs> so that's been scrapped. And there was actually a plan to increase dividend taxation by 1.25%. That has also been scrapped. So effectively, we're now with two rates of taxation, one at 7.5% for basic rate taxpayers and another for 32.5% for higher rate taxpayers. So the, these were, were basically reversals that Rishi Suna had announced at his last budget. It's been reversed. Top tier has been scrapped and the increases have been have been pulled away. So basically means that people that are taking money out of their, their company through their profits to pay themselves are not going to be paying as much tax as they would have been with the previous Chancellor's rules. Okay. By the way, Richie Sunak, I've, I've heard nothing but sound bites from Richie Sunak being played all week. And these are sound bites that he uh, he gave when he was in that race with Liz Truss to become the new Tory leader. And now Richie Sunak, because of what he said, is is coming across like a seer, whereas Liz Truss is, is just looking inept at this moment in time, in terms of finance anyway. The national insurance rate hike has been reversed. Now, as I understand it, this was the increase that was supposed to bring in something like $12 billion, and it was being dubbed as a tax for the NHS. I mean, the fear is, if they're promising that $12 billion is is still coming, as I understand it, that's got to come from borrowing, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, and, and, and this this is a major issue at the moment with borrowing. Borrowing's getting more and more expensive for the British government. So th- there, there will have to come a point in time where borrowing is not always the route to go down. It's going to have to be, you know what, we're going to need to recoup some of this money through taxation. 
I have my own feelings on where we may see this. You know, I I get a feeling that you know there may be some easy targets that are going after things like inheritance tax. I would have normally said corporation tax, but that that's we're about to speak about that in in, in a second as well. <laughs> but inheritance tax may be something that might change in the future. That could be a way of of generating more income. But I think at the end of the day. My feelings are these are going to be temporary fixes, the reductions in taxation. They need to be back in there because we can't always rely on borrowing. It comes a point in time where that borrowing is going to get too expensive and it won't work. So, yeah, I don't normally get overly political, but I'm going to put my political hat on just now. And my feelings are the budget that, that we're looking at here is a budget by a government that don't think they're going to be in power at the next general election. So mm-hmm. they can say, well, we tried our best to get everything sorted, but we'll leave it up to you and you've got to fix it now. And that that's my concern at the moment, that this is a real short-term view on where we are just now. And there isn't a major long-term plan to really get us back to a stable position that we really need to be in. But that's my political bit over. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, because wasn't there a, a sort of similar situation, but reverse when it would have been Gordon Brown, wasn't it, that would have come out of power? Because, again, in the same way that both Liz Truss uh, came to power and I think Theresa May came to power and indeed Boris Johnson initially came to power, it was voted in by the the, the Tory base. They didn't have to stand an election straight off. They, they they got in courtesy of replacing their immediate predecessor. And Gordon Brown had followed Tony Blair. Now, wasn't there a case of when, when they came out of power, there's a piece of paper left somewhere in the yeah. Treasury that said... There's there's no money there's no money left. There was something like that. Yeah. I I I I heard that absolutely. Yeah, and you know this is a slightly frustrating thing that any you know government is just thinking until the next general election because they they cannot guarantee you know a long term power and and that that's a slightly frustrating thing from my point of view that it'd be nice if there was a concise view on how to change things but everybody has their own opinion everybody is their own experts fair enough but then they we're the ones they end up suffering yes absolutely agreed stamp duty cut now again this is another one of these things i think where uh, devolution rules kind of affect it this applies yep. to england and northern ireland right so the bank of england base rate has been hiked. Yes. And, and and again, since since we since we started looking at putting this show together, mortgage products have been taken off the market oh. altogether. I don't even Absolutely. know where we are with this anymore. But explain stamp duty first of all to me, Andrew. Okay. And and then is this one of the issues that means it won't affect Scotland and Wales? We'll start with England and Northern Ireland, then come on to Scotland and Wales afterwards. That's probably the simplest way to do it. Yeah. So let's go with England and Northern Ireland then in stamp yeah. duty. Okay, so basically, stamp duty is a tax that you pay, you pay on a property when you buy it. There are allowances before you start paying tax, and previously, anything up to £125,000, you didn't pay stamp duty on. So it was really for first-time buyers, small properties, they wouldn't have this extra taxation to pay. That has then been increased Um from 125 to 250,000 pounds. So basically no stamp duty to pay in England and Northern Ireland on up to 250,000 pounds, which is great. 
If you're a first-time buyer, though, as well, so what they've done is for first-time buyers, previously it was £300,000. That has now moved up to £425,000. So first-time buyers, I don't know about you, but I don't know many first-time buyers that are buying a property for Mm £425,000. You know, where I am at the moment, London and the, the south of England is completely different. But, you know, that's a major, major saving. So so that, that's England and Wales. Or sorry, England and Northern Ireland. Scotland's slightly different. So we like to be different. So bear with me. I've got a list of, <laughs> list of percentages in front of me at the moment. So the stamp duty or the land and building taxation, transaction tax, to give it its full title, less than £145,000. Zero percent tax paid on that, one hundred forty-five to two hundred fifty thousand, two percent, two hundred fifty to three hundred twenty-five, five percent, three hundred twenty-five to seven hundred fifty thousand, ten percent, and over the rest over seven hundred fifty thousand. That's twelve percent tax. But then there is an additional four percent tax applied to that as well. If this is a second property, so nice and confusing, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> so that's how Scotland and, and Wales are affected. If you if you're sitting there wondering, does that make now a good time or a bad time to buy a house? Fear not, because we're going to do that show somehow next week, Andrew. And even in the time it's taken me to read this out, something's probably changed about the mortgage offers in the market. In so much as a few other products have, have probably been pulled, so that's going to be a fun show to do. I don't think I've ever felt the pace of the churn of finance go quite so quickly as this, have I? Yeah, there is so much going on. Normally, we will have one issue, but we seem to have about four or five issues all at once just now. And it's like, wherever you look, there's something going on. But yeah, there's less and less in the news about the war in Ukraine or the energy crisis. And it's more and more about finance, uh, bond rates, stock market volatility, uh, borrowing rates, ability to borrow. It's just, yeah, for me, I find it fascinating, but that's my job. That's what I do. But I can imagine for everybody else, it's a case of what's going on and trying to make sense of, of what's happening is 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 pretty difficult. What I realised this week is that, you know, when you get a news notification on your phone, I, I'm actually now, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm thinking about turning my phone over or turning those notifications off because you just think it can't get worse. Oh, no, it can't. <laughs> And 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 that's the thing that I'm I'm trying to understand because it is quite confusing for the large like me. But I'm trying to understand. So you you've got Liz Truss and Quasi Quarting trying to do these things, and they're, they're sort of freeing freeing up the marketplace, I guess, and and trying to make it easier to to move and and sort of manipulate your way through and get going again. But the idea that I get is that it's too soon for this and that before you get going again, you have to basically put in the foundation and get that all sorted. Is that a rough, roughly where we are? Uh, yeah, that's a pretty good um, description. The slight issue, though, is the incoming government need to be sh- seeing to take action. So, you know, th- they need to have headline-grabbing policies mm-hmm. that, you know, will hopefully get people on side, etc. But boring politics, which is basically what we need at the moment to get things back on track, is not what they're looking for, unfortunately. They're looking for the headline-grabbing side of things. So, yeah, I, th- I think they're in a very difficult position. But, yeah, we, we kind of come back to the thing that 
really they're only looking at the next two years yeah, and then after yeah. that it's yes it's probably going to be somebody else's problem because the, the main driver for this money budget going in was the catastrophe waiting in the wings of the energy crisis and and, and they right. they've been capped now until i think 2024 isn't it so effectively yep, it's a ticking time bomb where the can's been kicked down the road a little bit until right after the general election maybe sound a bit doomongerish because she had to do something on that didn't she 100 percent when there's news coming out that if your household is earning less than £45,000 a year, you're going to be in energy poverty. That can't be sustainable. I, I saw a statistic that if you lived up in Shetland, you needed to earn £100,000 a year to be in fuel poverty. So going from the £1,900 cap up to what was being predicted at 6200 or 6300 it was an astronomical rise. And when people are struggling enough as it is, you, there was just no way that, that nobody could let that happen. Um, I'm very surprised the outgoing prime minister didn't do anything about it sooner, because I think that could have maybe... Are you? Are you really? <laughs> <laughs> are you really surprised? Yeah, okay. my, my, my blue sky hat on there. Um, <laughs> but, but really, that it, it should have happened a lot sooner because it could have stopped a lot of the issues that we're in just now. But Agreed. it didn't. We're here. We need to, you know, dig our way out. But, you know, there was no way that that could have ever been sustainable for anyone. Yeah, and I, I think, and this is something I noticed the likes of Martin Lewis now sort of clamping down on as if to to make sure that, that we all understand it. And it, it, it's probably worthwhile, actually, because some people won't. The the figure that was been bandied about now was for the average household, your electricity will not be more or your energy consumption will not be more than £2,500 per year. Yep. And they hear as well at the same time that electricity bills are capped so the assumption then for some people is it can't go above two thousand five hundred, but of course it Correct. can. It, it can. can if you if if you it can't. No, 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 no. no. I was I was agreeing. I was agreeing with you. Yeah. It, 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 Obviously, it can if you use the units. Hundred percent. Yeah. If you if you have your heating on, so it the way they calculate it is there's a unit price and it's the average amount of units that a household would use. They are capping the unit price. They're not capping the actual overall bill. So you're you're you know if you have your heating on, your gas on, your electricity on all the time, you're going to be using way more units. So yes, the unit price is capped, but your bill isn't capped at two and a half thousand pounds. You know the exactly. unit prices. So your your bills will go up if you start using electricity more because you think this is great. It's not going to be more than that. That's not the case at all. Yeah. Okay. And I, I do think it's probably worth, um, you know, banging on about that because people will not get that. Corporation tax, you mentioned that slightly earlier as well. It's been frozen as well. What does that mean exactly? Correct. The corporation tax currently is, so I'll explain what corporation tax is. Corporation tax is a tax that limited companies pay on their profits. So whatever profits they have declared, they will then pay corporation tax on it. At the moment, it is 12, 12%, it's 19%. It was due to go up to 25%. That was going to be the corporation tax hike, but that's been reverted back to, to 19% and will be held there until the next budget is, is then determined. So it's, again, a way 
that there can be more money within businesses, which then in theory can help stimulate job growth. So you could say, well, companies got more money, their profits are a little bit better. Okay, we can afford to employ somebody else or we can afford to invest more in their own infrastructure, their things that they need to do, their their jobs, etc. So the view is it's then gonna increase spending within the within the economy because businesses have more money to spend effectively. See, and this is this is the strange thing that there have been a few things that you've mentioned, like you know, the stamp duty and the corporation tax and the dividend tax and all that. And all that actually sounds quite positive in so much as well, it sounds like there should be more money in people's pockets. Certainly, you know, <laughs> company owners, for instance. But it, it does sound positive. And yet, in the background, going you know, going forward, you've got I, the IMF taking this unprecedented action, saying, look, we don't think you're doing the right thing here. You might want to rethink it. You've, <laughs> you've got the Bank of England going around buying up bonds to protect pensions. Yep. How, is it, how is it all gone from what sounds like positive stuff? How is it all gone so wrong? Well, we've got two agendas here. We've got the Bank of England's main agenda is to reduce inflation, which normally means increasing interest rates, reducing spending, and then that tends to because basically, if you if you increase the interest rates, a lot of people's mortgages rates will change. The amount of money that they have available at the end of the month reduces. Then they stop spending money. You need to be very very careful with that because then you can very easily slip into recession. So you go from inflation to disinflation and then deflation. Deflation is when things are going down. Disinflation is when it's going up, but not as fast as it was before. So you've got the Bank of England. That's their objective. They've got a target of 2%. They need to have inflation at 2%. It's at 10% just now. So they're doing everything that they can to do that. Then we've got the government that are saying, you know what? Growth is really important. We want the economy to grow. We want more more money in people's pockets and we want people to be spending more within the UK. And they are at completely other ends mm. of the scale. So, you know, there's no there's no defined objectives here. You've got the government wanting one thing, the Bank of England wanting another thing. It's It's all going to go a bit wrong. So yeah, so they're they're working at cross purposes, and both things are probably necessary, but not definitely not at the same time. The the Bank of England's course sounds like it should be the one that's applied first, followed by the Correct. the government the government's idea. But the government's problem is none of that is sexy. Yeah, it's a hundred percent. That's right. it. That, this is one of those things that was leaked beforehand. And when they do that, it's usually because it's either a very good news and they want to lead with a, a positive leak story or because they know it will go down like a cup of sick and they want to prepare everyone for the worst and take a little of that impact away from the actual announcement. And that's what they did with the cap uh, on bankers' bonuses being lifted. Now, the argument was that it hadn't stopped bankers earning a lot of money. What had actually happened was that their basic salary had increased instead. The argument being, if it's across the board for all of them, that could potentially be worse than those hitting their target being rewarded on a sort of percentage basis. I I don't know whether that's true or not, Andrew, is it? So, okay, bankers bonus. So I'll I'll explain a little bit about what what the cap on bankers bonus was and that side of things. So the limit was a banker could not earn more than 100% of their salary as a bonus. 
So if they were earning £100,000 a year, their maximum bonus would be £100,000. Now, with potential to have that increased to two hundred to double that with the shareholders' permissions, etc. So by removing that uh, cap, basically they can earn as much as they want. Now, th- th- there's there's definitely two arguments there. You, you make a valid point. The salaries were just going up, and you know if somebody's salary goes up, then there should be more tax revenue, which which is great. And likewise with the bonus, it's, it's taxable. That that's grand. The slight issue that having an uncapped bonus now is you're then incentivizing people to increase their profit margins and increase their, I'll put an invert commas, sales. Now, when you're incentivizing somebody to increase their sales, then there can be people in the background that do things that they're not really supposed to do to then increase their sales, which then gets us to the position of Barron's Bank, Nick Leeson, et cetera, all that side of things. So it's a, it's a tightrope to walk because, yeah, it may attract more people into the UK earning, you know, seven-figure salaries um, or, you know, annual salaries, which then in turn means there's a lot more income or a lot more tax being paid within the UK. That's one side of things. The other side of things is, you know, we could have another banking crisis on our hands if things aren't <laughs> regulated correctly. So, you know, we, we just need to be careful there. The yin and yang, right. Now, I've seen in subsequent days that the pound's fallen against the dollar and the euro, with the suggestion being the city doesn't believe Liz Truss's fiscal plan will work. And the plunge in the currency exchange rate reflects that. So overall, Andrew, the mini budget effect, how is that coming across for investors and the economy? I come back to the point that the markets hate volatility. They hate uncertainty. And that's where we are at the moment. You know, the markets are bouncing around at the moment. We'll see 1% growth, 2% growth one day, 3% drop the next day. So there is no kind of trend that we're going in. Biggest issue that we've seen is the effect that all this has have has had on bonds and gilts. So that's loans to large corporations and governments. Now, you know, we've seen the value of those drop since the start of the year by up to 30%. Now, this is really why the Bank of England were coming in buying up all these bonds and gilts to try and stabilize that element because a big part of institutional investors, and these are kind of pension funds he'll be putting a lot of money into these areas because they're seen to be safe and stable. It is the least stable part of our economy at the moment. It It's not quite virgin on cryptocurrency, but it's not a million miles away. So, you know, we're we're in this position where things are just bouncing around just now. So, you know, it, it obviously there'll be opportunities to speculate and, uh, and profit from these side of things, but at the moment, it is it, it's difficult times for someone who's um, who's sitting there, and all they've heard about is oh, pensions, billions could be wiped off pensions. Is there a real risk that the money that you've you've supposedly put away is not going to be there when you reach retirement age? That it's not going to be there. No, I would say that would be very very unlikely. It's not to say it can't happen, but the chances of it happening would be very, very, very slim. So I'm not concerned about people losing absolutely everything. Will it be worth less or is it worth less now 
than it was last year? The answer to that is probably yes. There's lots of different issues with regards to pensions and different types of pensions and how this is affecting those pension schemes. So, you know, if you're concerned, that's where somebody like myself comes into play. You know, I review pension plans for clients. I'm an IFA. That's what I do. So if you're concerned, you have a chat to a financial advisor, you uh, look at it, you ensure it's set up in the correct way, and then they'll be able to guide you through. Okay. And how much of that, I mean, presumably what's going to have to happen in order for that volatility to subside at least a little is the government is going to have to walk back on some of the things that it's 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 done, that it's said in this money budget. Will they have to go back the, the entire way or is there a compromise area that you can see? Yeah, it's an interesting one. They may keep some of the kind of headline rates as they are, but then try and introduce stealth taxes elsewhere. You know, I, I was speaking about inheritance tax. That's that's one that I could see would be very easy to change. And that would be a nice little income stream for, for the government. But I think it would be very difficult for them to say, oh, well, we did this this year. Oh, we're going to do something completely different next year, as in go back to what Rishi Sunak was proposing. So I think they might keep what they've got just now, but they'll then maybe change some of the other taxation tools that they have in the background or introduce additional taxation tools that they don't already have. So they can keep the headline as it is, but just some tweaks in the background. And how long do you see this sort of, you know, the the sort of craziness period that we're in right now lasting? I mean, it, it can't go on like this continuously, surely. No, I don't think so. It's how long's a piece of string? That's the that, that that's that's the question. It's a really difficult one. I'm hoping we start to see a little bit more stability by the end of the year. We'll wait and see. There's still the energy crisis in the background, so that is still bubbling away in the in the background. That needs to get sorted out. The it's perfect storm at the moment. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not going to predict a time scale. <laughs> Whenever I try and do that, I'm wrong. So I'll I just, yeah. I just five. That's probably the, the safest bet. Yeah. Okay. Right. We'll watch this and we'll keep an eye on it. And obviously we'll respond to it in, in coming weeks. And on the subject of mortgages and is now a good time to buy a house. Once again, that is what we're going to look at on the very next show. So if you're worried about that, we'll we'll address that in the very next podcast that we make. Now, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your queries. And in his absence, we've got Andrew on the caseload. So if ever you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if you wish. Let's get on to this week's contact details. As I say, coming up, I'll give it to you after these. Uh, I've recently been contacted about a scheme that promises to write off my mortgage debt. Is this likely to be a scam? Andrew. Uh, yeah, so uh, m- more than likely, if it looks too good to be true, it is. And that's normally the way that I would look at it. Um, I-, I would say if somebody's really struggling with mortgage, de- mortgage debt, the first place they should always look at is their lender. Discuss their situation with their lender. Try and work out whether they're in arrears or whether they are unable to pay what they were. That's always the first place to look at because they they don't want you to default on your mortgage. If a company is saying that they can write off your mortgage debt, there's going to be a price at the end of it. That price is going to be you could end up losing your property 
you may not ever be able to borrow money again if you're going into bankruptcy or trustee or any of that side of things. So, you know, they can have major, major impacts in your ability to do any form of borrowing going forward. So, you know, there are schemes out there, but you need to look at the small print because the the headline, you know, is, yeah, if it's too good to be true, if it looks too good to be true, it normally is. Is there any is there any quick fire way of you know if you get some something like this offer through an email or through the post or whatever? Is there any quick fire way of saying right? Is this a scam? I know what I'll have to do. I'll have to go and check this. Yeah. I I would always be really wary of anybody contacting you directly through a cold calling or a cold email method. If it's something that you're concerned about, go and do the research yourself rather than the people that have contacted you. Google's an amazing thing. You just type in what you want and you get heaps of responses. <laughs> and then you're able to look at saying, well, is this legitimate? Is there, you know, look at reviews, look at other companies that offer the services. But yeah, just, you know, the, I've forgotten the name, uh, trading standards. That was yeah, the word yeah. I was looking for. If you have any concerns, you can run it past them. They'll have heard about them already. I would imagine as well. I mean, if you if you go to like an independent financial advisor, the chances are they might have heard of them as well because the, yeah. the, probably someone's come to them and said, "Look, what do you think about this?" It, it might not be the first time the question's been asked. Is is what I'm saying? Yeah, and you know, when when people are in financial difficulty, they'll just grab hold of anything that they can, and uh, yeah, just you just need to be really really careful because okay. it, it's people that are just trying to profit out of your misfortune. Scumbags is what we like to call them here. 100%. Next up, here's one from Leah in Kintour. Leah asks, uh, I received an email from inquiries at bankofenglanduk.co.uk saying I could be one of the first to access the new bank notes featuring the image of King Charles. Should I take up this offer? Andrew. Okay, so if you're really interested in buying first edition coins or notes, again, it's, it's the last point that I made. If somebody's contacting you directly, massive pinch of salt. You know, is this a legitimate company? Looking at the email address, I would say probably no. It doesn't sound like that would actually be the Bank of England's email address. But if you are wanting to buy them, go on to the Bank of England's website. Go on to research where you get those notes from. And then you can buy them directly there rather than somebody who has contacted you directly through a cold email or a cold call. Do you know, I, I just remember a couple of things. Whenever there was like a royal event, there was always, there's usually a coin or a, a note or something issued to mark that event. My granny used to collect all this. I bet you had this as well. Your, your granny would collect all these coins and say, well, I'll leave them to you one day, son, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, think, I think I've got a few collections as well in the background. Um, I don't think they're worth anything, unfortunately. No, probably not. value is about, about as much as I can expect. Yeah. I would just say, before you get in touch with the question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a fair few topics so far and we may have touched on what you're interested in. And just one other thing on the, the idea of scams. If you are sent something which you believe might not be legit. The last thing to do is click on any link or click reply to that email. So so don't do that. 
good. I'm John Mellis. Thanks for joining us for episode 107 of the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. And thank you also to Andrew Schooler, Phil's colleague, for deputising this week and also next. Now, if you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn too. Or why not email Phil a question that he can answer on a future show? His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question. Like I say, Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured, we won't use your real name if that's what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening.